Good morning, everyone. This is Gary Smith. Welcome to the Gary Smith Show here on Life Changing Radio, 1550 AM WSDK. It's great to be with you today. I apologize that I was not here last week. Unfortunately, we had to do a prior broadcast, a replay of a prior broadcast, because my family was called away to western New York because of a death. And so we had to go and take care of that. But it's great to be with you this morning. I wanted to let you know that this week's show, because of the Easter weekend, is pre-recorded. So we won't be taking any calls today, but you can still email your questions in to me at questions at optex.com. So if you have questions, if you have comments, if you have any observations, any suggestions that you have for another show that you would like uh, to hear on a specific topic, please feel free to email me again at questions at optex.com. And I will get back to you, I'll respond to you personally this coming week, and then we'll deal with some of your questions when I'm back here uh, in the studio live next Saturday. As we begin our show today, the past couple of weeks that we have been together, we have been pretty much focused on the whole concept of personal development. So we laid the foundation in our first week together about personal development, how it fits with evangelical Christianity, why there is a need for it, what God expects us to do with the talents and skills that he has given us. And then the next week we went through and spent quite a bit of time focusing on the whole goal development and achievement process. So we talked about setting goals. We talked about a mission statement and core values, time management, organization, execution, celebration, those sorts of things. Well, today's show is going to be a little bit different. Today and probably next week, we are going to shift our focus a little bit, and we're going to be talking about the world of business. Specifically, I'm going to be talking about building a godly business. That should be the focus uh, of everyone who wants to be in business, is building a godly business. And I first have to thank my dear friend, Drew Crandall, because he provided a great deal of the material that I'm going to be using the next couple of weeks. Uh, Drew is a Christian business owner here in Connecticut. He is a wonderful, wonderful Christian man. Uh, Drew and I have been friends now for probably close to 20 years. Uh, we've had the opportunity to work together on a number of occasions. Uh, he is a man who truly uh, is after God's own heart, and his desire is to be a real witness for Christ in the marketplace. So I thank Drew uh, for uh, for his work in putting some of this material together and for his willingness to allow me to use it uh, and to be able to share it with, with you today. As I said, the show was pre-recorded this week, but I really do want you to email your questions in. So any questions, comments, suggestions, please send them in to questions at optex.com. So as we start talking about building a godly business, I want you to envision your business as a building. Whether you, whether you own a, a business of your own right now or whether you're just contemplating starting a business, I want you to envision a business as being a building, a physical building, if you will. And that building has a foundation and it has walls. And in this particular case, our building has a foundation and it has eight walls. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to lay that foundation and we're going to build the walls that will give you the structure needed to create a successful, God-honoring enterprise. I'd like to start out this morning by this, telling the story of Nehemiah. 
Many of you know of Nehemiah from the Old Testament. He was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah had learned about some problems that were going on with Jerusalem because the Israelites were still in exile at that time. And he had heard that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down, that the gates had been burned, and he had a real burden on his heart to find a way to be able to go back and restore the walls of Jerusalem so that it would be a city again. And so Nehemiah began to pray, and he asked God to help him. And then when the opportunity presented himself, he asked the king for permission to return to Jerusalem, and not only got the king's blessing to return to Jerusalem, but got the king to underwrite an awful lot of the stuff that he was going to need as far as safe passage, security, the materials that he needed to be able to complete the work. And I want you to think about your business in terms of you being the Nehemiah of your business, because it's up to you to cast that vision, to drive that business forward, and to catch God's vision for what it is that he wants you to be doing. The two things that impressed me about Nehemiah in this whole process is that, number one, he relied upon God. God was the foundation of his life, and he didn't think about doing anything, uh, approaching the king to ask him for permission or going to Jerusalem and do, to do any of the work until he had first spent an enormous amount of time in communication with God, asking God for his help and his support. And so when we start talking about the foundation of our business, I think there are three critical things that we need to talk about. The first is, are you a Christian? If you're going to build a godly business, you need to be a Christian. So the question becomes, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Because in order to start and run a godly business, you have to have an intimate, daily, personal relationship with the creator of the universe, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ, and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that begins with the new birth. In John 3, 7, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he tells him, Marvel not that I say unto you that you must be born again. So we need to be born again. John 3.16 talks about that God sent Jesus into the world because he loved the world. And when he said he loves the world, that means that he loves us. So God sent his son into the world to save us, to be a, a redemption for us so that we could, uh, we could have a personal relationship with him. And 1 Corinthians 3.11 talks about that no one can lay a foundation other than that which has already been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. So everything in building a godly business starts with you being a Christian, with you being committed to a relationship to Jesus Christ and, and with walking with him daily. If you have any questions about that at all, email me, uh, questions at optex.com, or call me. 203-599-1467. Uh, as I said, you know, we're going to be uh, we're going to be off for the Easter holiday, but I'll get back to you just as quickly as I can because starting your business on the right foundation is really so critical. It's so very very important. So the first part of building a foundation is becoming a Christian. The second part is asking yourself: Are you called to be a Christian leader? You may know the Lord, you may be a Christian, but has he called you 
to be a Christian entrepreneur, a business owner, a CEO. Uh, and, and there are several things that you can do to ferret that out for yourself. The first thing is asking God and listening for his answer. James 1.5 says that if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all. Just like Nehemiah went before God and asked him for his help, we need to do the same things. If you are looking for your calling, you need to be talking with God about that because he's the one who's established the ultimate purpose for your life, and he knows what he wants you to do and how he wants you to do it. The second thing is is to seek wise, godly counsel. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So when you're looking at your calling, especially in light of perhaps starting a business, being an entrepreneur, owning your own company, it's really, really important that you don't make those decisions in a vacuum. So God is your first source, but then use those people around you who you trust. And guys, I have to tell you, that the most important thing there that you can do is to talk with your spouses. The Lord will not lead what he has made one in two different directions. So if your wife does not feel comfortable, she does not have a peace about what you're doing, you need to take that as a sign that you should sit back and, and wait and talk to God some more because there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of wisdom that you can get from taking counsel from your spouse. The third thing is to examine what you gravitate toward. What are you gifted in? What do you have a passion for? Where do you seem to bear fruit? Matthew 7.20 tells us that by their fruit, you will recognize them. So look at the fruit that you've already produced in your life and ask yourself, what does that mean? Is there, is there something there that in combination with the counsel and the, the, the feedback that I'm getting from the Lord that is pointing me in a particular direction? It's really, really crucial that you know your call because it does a number of things for you. First of all, it gives you vision. It gives you a vision for the future. It helps you establish a purpose. One of the neat things about having a call is that it gives you peace because it kind of settles things between you and the people in your life and God that you've been called to do a certain thing. So you know where you're going. It gives you direction. It gives you clarity. And it gives you, above all, motivation to go out and make things happen. The third thing that we need to do after you become a Christian and you've defined what your calling is, you know that you've been called to be a leader, the third question we have to ask is, are you ready and willing to freely abide in that call? You can know the Lord and you can be called but unless you're willing to freely abide in your call, building your Christian business isn't going to happen from a practical day-to-day -day perspective. Well, how do you go about doing that? Well, for me, abiding in the call means that I have a mission statement. I know what I want the rest of my life and my business to stand for. And then I have backed up that mission statement with core values and core values that have uh, special definitive statements attached to them. So I know what each one of those means. Now, a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about personal development, we talked about the development of a mission statement and a core values and clarifying statements to be able to define what you want your life to be about. Once you have those, I would suggest in your business that you display them, that you communicate them to your employees so that your employees know what you're all about. 
My mission statement is something that I've worked on for the past 25 years, and it's very, very simple. It's very, very straightforward. My mission statement is simply to live a life that is centered on Jesus Christ and to make a positive difference in the lives of others. That is just critical to me. So take the time to do that and and to really make the commitment that you're willing to make that that decision to abide in the call that God has given you. Don't forget to email your questions, comments, suggestions to questions at optex.com. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, this week's show is pre-recorded, but we'll be back live next week. So I look forward to uh, having an opportunity to take your calls, to talk with you, uh, as well as respond to the emails I receive uh, between now and then. So we've laid the foundation. We have looked at it from the standpoint of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing that you have a call, and being willing to follow through on that call. So once we have that foundation in place, we're ready to put up our first wall. And the first wall, from my perspective, is the planning wall. The word entrepreneur means someone who runs a business at his or her own financial risk. Building anything takes time, it takes vision, it takes wisdom, it takes commitment, it takes energy, it takes money, it takes faith, and it involves risk. And that's something that none of us can take lightly in the planning process. A couple of months ago, I had the opportunity to be on another radio station talking about one of the books that I had written. And it happened to be a talk show format, and a young man called in, and we were talking about setting up a business. And he happened to be employed by a a large engineering firm, but he wanted to get out. He wanted to get out and be on his own. And the reasons that he gave was, number one, he didn't like working for a large firm. But more importantly than that, he really wanted to be home. He wanted to be able to spend more time with his wife and his young family. And that was a real priority for him. I think those goals are great. But the way he was approaching it was from the standpoint of, wow, if I can quit my job and start a new business, that means that I can jump right in and I'll be able to spend more time with my family. And I said, wait a minute, time out. Stop and think about the things that are involved in a business. Number one, you have to go out and you have to get clients for your business. And that becomes a lot of work. For the first couple of years, unless you already have a good client base to work with, for the first couple of years, you're going to spend 40, 50, 60% of your time marketing yourself. So, you're not going to get initially the opportunity to spend time with your family doing the things that you really want to do. So my recommendation to him was, first of all, don't quit your day job. Start your job. You know, he wanted to be an engineering consultant. So I said, start your job on a part-time or your business on a part-time basis. Do it evenings. Do it weekends. Those sorts of things until you find out if it's something that you're really going to enjoy. Is there a real need out there for what you do? Can you build a client base to support yourself? But realize that you're going to have an investment of time and energy that's going to take you away from your family in the short term. So we need to consider all of those types of things uh, before or in the process of planning out our business before we ever officially open our doors to do anything. We need to be intentional in our planning process because building a godly business is not accidental. It is indeed very intentional, it's deliberate, and it's methodical, and you need a good, solid plan. Proverbs 2019, uh, 29.18 tells us, where there is no vision, the people 
parish. So I want to stop for just a minute now in the planning process, and I want to ask you to define <clears throat> what a business is. If I ask you right now to go and grab a piece of paper and write that down, can you give me a really solid definition of what a business is? Most people define a business as an organization that sells products or services at a profit. Now, that's a pretty good definition, but my question to you is, is that enough? Let me give you my definition of a business. A business is a repeatable, duplicatable process that meets five criteria. First of all, your business has to create and deliver something of value. If you're not offering a product or service that provides value, you're finished before you start. Now, that may seem obvious, but you would be surprised at the number of people who have ideas for products or services that they're really, really excited about, yet those products or services bring absolutely no value to the marketplace. The second thing is that the business has to produce a product or a service that other people want or need. In addition to delivering value, your product or service must be something that others want. This statement serves to filter out a whole bunch of stuff because creating value that doesn't satisfy a need or want in the marketplace is futile. The third thing that any business has to do is it has to offer a product or service at a price that people are willing to pay. Every product or service has a price point. That point is the upper limit of what people are willing to pay. If you're below that point, enough people will potentially buy your product to enable you to generate sales. But if you're above that point, the number of people willing to purchase your product or service declines rather significantly. So, so far we've talked about a business being a, a duplicatable process that creates and delivers something of value that other people want or need at a price that they're willing to pay. Number four on my list of five is in a way that satisfies customers' needs and expectations. You can create value and you can provide a product or service that people want and at a price that they're willing to pay, but are you meeting their needs and expectations? Every customer has ideas about what your product or service should do for him. Some of these ideas are based on your customer's specific needs, and some may be based on the product or service features that are already being provided by your competition. Customer needs are things that must be met. But in addition to that, the more of their expectations you can meet, the easier it is for you to differentiate yourself from your competition. And lastly, number five, is that the business has to make enough profit to make it worthwhile for you to stay in business. We talked about price points. The market has a certain price that it's willing to pay for your product or service. The question to be addressed now is, are your costs to produce your product or service low enough to enable you to make a profit that's sufficient for you to stay in business? So these five items, creating and delivering something of value that other people want or need at a price that they're willing to pay in a way that satisfies customers' needs and expectations so that the business makes enough profit that it's worthwhile to stick around, those are the key elements of a business for me. So those five elements define a business. If you take any one of them away, you don't have a business. So if you're planning to start a new business or you're just reviewing your current business venture, always go back to those core items because reviewing them will help you identify any major issues. 
the planning part of, of your business is very, very important. I mean, look at the stories from the Bible. The example of Noah's Ark in Genesis chapter 6, where God gave Noah a specific plan for what he wanted to do, the height, the width, the breadth, the construction materials, how it was supposed to be waterproof, all of that sort of stuff was given to Noah by God. Same thing in First Chronicles 28, where David was talking to Solomon, and he delineated the plans for the temple. Same thing with Nehemiah in uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. We talked about Nehemiah going back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah walked through the city after he got there, and he looked over everything, and he developed a plan for what he was going to do. So planning is very, very important. But planning is also something that we have to be careful about because there are extremes in planning. You can either plan too little or you can plan too much. If you plan too little, you wind up creating a lot of chaos in your organization because you haven't taken time to think things through. But if you plan too much, you wind up with almost a legalistic type of business where there's no flexibility for people to be creative, to look for inventive solutions to problems. And the thing that we have to realize is that we'll never remove uh, the mystery of human existence. Everybody operates differently. And when you're running a business and you have people working for you, there is that constant dynamic that's going on. And the best advice that I should, can give you is to allow God to inspire your planning because God is God and you're not. So your plan has to include a general blueprint for all of the walls that we're going to talk about. And it also has to incorporate your mission statement and your values because people, both your employees and your customers, need to know what your core non-negotiable principles and preferences are. So thus far, we've talked about the foundation and the planning wall. We're going to take a break now, and we will be back in just a few minutes. So don't forget to email your questions and comments to questions at optex.com. And when we come back, we'll begin looking at the wall of research and development. Okay, we are back. Welcome back to The Gary Smith Show. Again, any questions, comments, suggestions for the show, please email me at questions at optex.com. As I've mentioned already earlier in the show, this is a pre-recorded show, so we're not taking any phone calls today. But we will be back live next week, uh, next Saturday. We will be looking forward to getting your phone calls and receiving your emails and responding to the emails that we have gotten uh, over the course of the week. Well, today we have been talking about building a godly business. And so far, we have talked about two things. One was laying the foundation, and that foundation has to be on Jesus Christ, that you first have to be a, a Christian. You need to know that you have been called to be a business leader, and you have to be willing to accept that call to pick up the ball and run with it. And then we talked about the need for planning that you have to have a plan, that all of the great things in the Bible, uh, from Noah to the building of the temple to Nehemiah, so much of what we see in the Bible is people having a plan, a God-given plan for how they were going to go about achieving things. So it's important that you have a plan that defines what it is that you're going to do, how it is that you're going to do it, and that it's in sufficient detail to be able to communicate it to your employees so that they can pick up that ball and run with it. But it can't be too detailed because if it is, then it begins to cramp creativity. So that's the foundation 
and the planning wall. The next wall we're going to talk about is the research and development wall. You need to spend a great deal of time building this wall because it is both the present and future of your business. So we're going to spend some time here because there are some really important concepts that we need to, to grasp. So in the R&D realm, as part of operating your business, you need to decide what products and services you're going to sell, how you will produce them, how you're going to price them, and how you're going to deliver them. So one of the things that I uh, suggest is that you ask yourself, what would Jesus do if he walked into your business and saw your products and your services? What would he have to say? And I think that there are six core questions that we can talk about here. The first is, are your products and services constructive? Are they something that adds a great positive value to the marketplace? Are there some things that if Jesus came in and saw that, he would just be delighted because it meets a need in your marketplace? Uh, an example that I would think about is medical devices, things that, uh, that alleviate suffering, that create patient comfort, that cure diseases, that gives, uh, give uh, physicians the tools that they need to be able to do their jobs. Things like that are constructive as compared to uh, businesses that deal, as an example, in uh, drugs, businesses that deal in pornography, uh, businesses that deal in alcohol, uh, and, and things like that, that may not add the level of value. And in some cases, they add no value at all. They actually detract from and, and help to undermine the societal structure. So one of the things that you might ask in, in answering the question, are your products and services constructive, is are the products and services that you're offering out there meeting a need? Or are they making the world a better place? Are your products and services relevant that's question number two. That kind of goes back to what we were talking about on the planning side of the things. Are your products relevant from the standpoint that do they meet a need in the marketplace that people are willing to spend their money on, whether it's a business-to-business -business situation or a business-to-consumer situation? Are the products and services you offer, uh, are they needed by others to a point that they're willing to, to pay for them? Question number three, do your products and services have value greater than if they were produced by the customers in-house? Now, that's a real interesting one because especially in the economy today, more and more companies uh, are, are looking for ways to be able to do things in-house versus having to go outside to do them because if they can get their existing workforce to do them, it's much more economical. That's one of the things that I run into often as a coach because people will look at me and say, well, if I need personal development, I can go out and I can read the same books that you've read. I can learn the same things that you know, and therefore I can do it myself. And my answer to that is, yes, you certainly can. But then I follow that up and say, but are you doing it? Do you have time to do it? And one of the questions I often ask people is, when it comes to personal development, over the last two or three years, how many personal development books have you read? The usual response I get is anything from none to maybe one or two. And then I explain to them, I've read well over a thousand business and personal development books in the last 25 years. So I have that knowledge base, and that's what you're paying me for as a coach. If you don't have time to do it, 
If you don't have time to invest doing that, then you need somebody who has the expertise that I have that has taken the time and invested the time to gain that knowledge. So it's easier for you to tap into my knowledge of that than it is for you to go and invest the time to do it yourself. So that you need to think about is do your products and services have a value greater than if they were produced by customers in-house, either from the standpoint of can you offer them more economically or, or is the quality of the product or service that you offer so much higher than what other people can do that it's a no-brainer? Fourth area is do your products and services relate to your passion and giftedness? Now, that's a real important thing for us to talk about because the whole concept of, of getting into business, remember when we were talking about do you have a calling? Well, your calling much of the time is related to the skill sets that you have. So what are you passionate about? What is it that you really love to do in life? What are you gifted to do? If you were to sit down and, and list out your strengths, the things that you're really good at, do your products and services relate to those strengths? Because that's what you want to be playing to within yourself, because that's what you're really good at. It's what you're passionate about. It's what you really want to do. The next question is, do your products and services have inherent quality? Is there a quality to what you do that is compelling, either in the product that you offer or the service that you offer? Is there something there that is just so compelling that people look at it and they just have to, they have to have it. It's something that they can take, that they can apply in their lives, that they can use in their lives. And, and it just has that level of, of quality that you can't find anywhere else. And finally, are your products and services creative? Creative to me is very, very important uh, because that's what the marketplace is all about. When you look at commercials on TV or when you browse the shelves in the store, how many Me Too products do you see versus products that are really creative, products that stand out? And that's what you want. You want something that will help you differentiate yourself in your marketplace. So your products need to be uh, creative. One of the things that I talk about too often is the combination of how your business offerings are structured. How, um, how are your product offerings of your business put together? Is the way you put them together part of your overall business strategy, or are they just kind of randomly configured and offered to your clients? I mean, when you look at the, at the products and services that you offer, is there any common theme that seems to run through them? Are they assembled in a manner that makes it easier for your salespeople to modularize them and bundle them and unbundle them as necessary to meet the needs of your customers? Uh, Vincent Van Gogh once said, great things are not done by impulse, but by a series of small things brought together. This is the successful way to operate your business. Consider the following three statements. Most successful businesses combine multiple forms of value to offer value in multiple ways. Usually these offers are handled separately and the customer can choose which one to take advantage of. By making offers modular, the business can create and improve offers in isolation and then later on mix them as necessary. Now, my company, Optimum Performance Technologies, is a good illustration of these concepts. Optex was originally founded as a business consulting practice. So that's kind of module one, if you will, of my business. Our original focus was on manufacturing businesses, but we later broadened our base to include a wide variety of industries 
thereby creating a modular offering that's attractive to a number of business sectors. So we just didn't get ourselves locked into doing one sort of thing. And as we built the consulting practice, we noticed that a large number of issues that our clients faced surrounded their ability to deal with the selection, development, and training of employees and associates. So as we helped them find solution to those challenges, a new module just kind of naturally developed, and that was business and personal coaching. So that's module number two. And that particular area allows us to work with any business, a group within a business or with individuals inside and outside of companies to help them reach new levels of performance in both business and life and to live far more productive and fulfilling lives. And that is we continued over the years to gain more experience and knowledge and success in our endeavors. A third focal point of our business finally emerged, and that is training and speaking, which is module number three. So through this venue, we're able to share our knowledge with larger audiences and create greater autonomy for our clients. So each of the three modules we've created stands completely by itself, yet they're easily combined in a variety of ways to create effective custom solutions to meet the needs of our clients. So as you're looking at your business, as you're looking at your R&D wall, and you're constructing that, and you're looking at what products and services you're going to offer, how you're going to produce them, where are you going to get them from, how are you going to price them, how are they going to be delivered, think about how they come together and how that they can stand separately and how that they can be combined in ways that offer some really, really unique value to your customers. We're going to take another quick break here. Again, don't forget to email your questions and comments to questions at optex.com. And when we come back, we're going to take a quick look at the sales and marketing wall of your business. Okay, welcome back here to the Gary Smith Show on 1550 AM WSDK. It's great to have you along for the ride today. Today we are talking about how to build a godly business. And thus far we have talked about the foundation which is Jesus Christ. We've talked about planning. We've talked about research and development. And now we're going to talk about the sales and marketing wall. Before we do that, I just want to remind you that today's show is pre-recorded, But please feel free to email your questions, your comments, your suggestions to questions at optex.com. After the Easter holiday, I will get back to you just as quickly as we can. And we'll look forward to being back with you live next Saturday so we can take some of your calls and answer some of your emails. So let's talk about sales and marketing. Uh, this is one of the most fascinating parts of business to me because it's one thing to have a product or service that's really, really good and it's completely another thing to get out there and find a market and integrate into a market and get people interested in buying and consuming that product or service. So I want to talk today about marketing your business. I was speaking to a group of business people not too long ago, and I asked them this question. If I gave you a blank piece of paper and a pencil and ask you in just a couple of sentences to define marketing as it relates to your business, what would you say? And we talked about it for a few minutes and the group finally settled on this definition. Marketing is the process of filling the pipeline of my business with potential clients. Now let me ask you, does that sound like a good definition of marketing to you? It's not a bad definition overall, but in my opinion, it's not complete. And in order to kind of give you a frame of reference for where I'm going, I want you to listen to this particular story. 
About five years ago, I was talking to the president of a company uh, in a neighboring city about how I might help him turn his business around. He was in a situation where about 40% of his company's sales were related to the automotive industry. And when General Motors got into financial trouble, he lost most of that business. And when I asked him what he was doing to try to get that business back, he said that he had one salesman who was spending all of his time trying to get new customers. So I asked what approach the salesman was using, and the president of this company told me that he was out knocking on doors every day. I asked if the salesman was calling on specific potential accounts, and this, the president said he didn't know. So I asked, is the salesman in the uh, the office today? And he said, no, he's out on the road. And I said, well, can we give him a call? I'd like to ask him a few questions. When we got the salesman on the phone, I asked him this set of questions. Number one, how many calls are you making each day? Number two, how long have you been making these calls? Number three, how do you decide on whom you're going to call? And number four, how many new customers has your particular approach generated for you? His answer, to say the least, was pretty disappointing. He averaged four calls a day and had been doing so for almost three months. His approach was to get a listing of all the companies in the area and then starting with his particular business at the center of the map, work his way out in concentric circles. The result of that was that in three months he'd gotten four new customers. Now I did some quick mental math on that because four calls a day is 20 calls a week, which is 80 calls a month, which is 240 calls in three months. So four new customers from 240 calls. Wow. And that's a conversion rate of 1.7%. Not really anything to write home about. Well, after we finished the call with the salesman, I told the president that he was wasting his time trying to sell this way. In the first place, randomly calling on companies without even knowing if they have a need for your product or service is just plain dumb. It, it doesn't work because you wind up spending so much time talking with people you shouldn't be talking to. At the very least, the salesman should have been calling on companies he knew had a need for his company's products. Second, I told the president, that a conversion rate of 1.7% was completely unacceptable. In the markets that they were working on, if the salesman was calling on the right potential customers, the conversion rate should have been somewhere between 20 and 30%. Now, I use this example in order to clarify the definition of marketing because my definition of marketing is this. Marketing is the process of filling the pipeline of your business with potential clients who have already pre-qualified themselves by demonstrating a need or desire for your product or service. Let me say that again. Marketing is the process of filling the pipeline of your business with potential clients who have already pre-qualified themselves by demonstrating a need or desire for your product or service. I think this is a good definition of marketing, but it begs the question, how do you pre-qualify potential customers? I think that there are five things that we need to do in order to pre-qualify customers. The first thing that you have to do is that customers have to know who you are and how they can contact you. Now, most businesses do that really, really well because all of the basic information is spelled out on their business cards, brochures, their websites. So you can find email information, the physical location of the business, telephone numbers, fax numbers, all that sort of stuff. So that's, that's pretty easy to do. They have to know who you are, how to contact you. The second thing is, is that they must know what you do. 
Now, you might think on the surface that that is really simple, but it's not as obvious as it appears. I was at a networking event uh, several months ago, and a gentleman came up to me and asked me what I do. And one of the things I mentioned to him is that I work as a coach. And he immediately asked, well, what do you coach? Baseball? Basketball? Football? Soccer? When I explained to him that I was a business and personal coach, he looked at me and said, then why didn't you say so? The point's obvious. We have to be specific in telling people what we do. So once people know who you are and how to contact you, and they know what it is that you do, the third thing they have to do is that they have to know how you differentiate yourself from your competition. If you Google the words personal coach, which is one of the things that I do, you'll get 327 million hits. With that many people and businesses in the personal coaching arena, people need to know what makes me different and better than everyone else. Number four is that they must clearly understand the benefits they'll receive from working with you. Will they get higher quality, faster service, a money-back guarantee, personalized service? What are you giving them that they need and they want and that they're willing to pay for? And are you telling them about that up front so that they know exactly what they're getting? And then finally, they must know what you want them to do next. Now, this is referred to a call to action. You must be clear in creating a compelling call to action that drives them to the next step. It may be something as simple as telling them to pick up the phone and call you, but it has to be there. What we've talked about in the marketing segment is people have to know who you are and how to contact you. They have to know what you do. They have to know how you differentiate yourself from your competition. They must clearly understand the benefits that they'll get by working with you, and they have to know what you want them to do next. If you do that, if you're able to do that effectively through your marketing materials, brochures, your website, every communication event that you have with your customers, newsletters, personal contact with your salespeople and your marketing staff, personal contact with people in your organization. If you're producing a, a product and you have a quality manager, as an example, who's going out and working to resolve customer issues, the marketing portion of things need to be ingrained in him and they need to share that information so that your con customers and potential new clients are constantly getting the message of those five things. And if you do that, you'll fill your pipeline with good, qualified prospects, and it'll increase the amount of business that you do dramatically. The final thing I want to talk about today as part of your sales and marketing wall is what I call the iron law of the market. Mark Andreessen, the founder of Netscape and Ning, has said, Markets matter most. Neither a stellar team nor a fantastic product will redeem a bad market. Markets that don't exist don't care how smart you are. Now, those are very simple statements, but they're full of richness and meaning for existing and future business owners. If we take what Anderson has said in light of the five key ingredients that make up a successful business, here are at least some of the things that we can learn. The first thing is that even the most ingenious idea will fail if nobody wants it. Creating value that nobody wants is a waste of your time, brain power, and money. You can have a wonderful idea, but if people don't want it, they won't spend their hard-earned money on it. Sometimes ideas are just bad, and sometimes they're really good, but they're either leading or lagging the market too much. So it's not just about having a great idea for a product or service. 
but it's honestly asking yourself the question, does the market need the product or service that I have right now? Is the market already full because I'm too late with my with my idea coming to the marketplace? Or am I a little bit ahead of the market and it's a great idea, but maybe we need to shelve it for right now because six months, a year, year and a half from now will be the perfect time to introduce that product based on what's going on in the marketplace. Secondly, we need to think about finding ways to serve existing markets rather than developing a product and then crying, trying to create a market to sell it to. Creating markets is risky, it's hard, and it's expensive. If you're a small business person, trying to create a market for your product or service can put you out of business because you may run out of cash before you can create a market. Far better to look at existing markets and ask how you can add a greater or different kind of value to that market. One of the things that I've often commented about in talking with people is don't be afraid of competition. A lot of people think that they need to go out and create a brand new market because of the competition in existing markets. It's like they think that competition is a bad thing. Competition is a wonderful thing. I often tell people, if you give me the choice between going into a market with no competition or a market that has competition, I'll take the market with competition every time. You know why? Because it means there's a lot of business out there to be had. Finally, the iron law of the market is cold, it's hard, and it's unforgiving. If you ignore it, you will fail. I know that sounds negative, and I really am a positive guy, but what I'm trying to convey to you is that you have to be careful that you don't allow yourself to think that you're smarter than the system or that the law doesn't apply to you. Trust me, it does. I've seen far too many people, many of them more intelligent than me, who thought they could circumvent this law, and they're no longer in business. So as you're building your sales and marketing wall, don't make that same mistake. So let's recap what we've accomplished today. Our goal today was to begin starting to talk about how to go about building a godly business. And we began talking about the foundation, just like we would if we were building a house. The foundation is the concrete floor, and that concrete floor is none other than the rock of Jesus Christ. You must first have a personal relationship with Christ. Then you must know that you have a calling to be an entrepreneur, a businessman, or a CEO. And then you must be willing to pick up that calling, to pick up the ball and run with it. Once we have the foundation in place, we began talking about building the walls. And we talked about three walls. The first wall is that of planning, that you have to have a good, solid plan for your business that defines what you want to be about as a company and how you're going to go about achieving it. Secondly, we need to have a research and development wall that defines the kinds of products and services that you're going to offer, how they're going to be delivered, how they're going to be produced, how they're going to be priced, those types of things. And then once we know the products and services that we're going to be offering to our potential clients, we need to begin filling that pipeline. And so we transitioned over and we began talking about the marketing and sales wall how our products are going to be offered, what kind of markets are we going to go into, how are we going to penetrate those markets, how are we going to differentiate ourselves from the competition that already exists in those markets so that we can indeed become successful. We're going to be back next week 
and we're going to continue building the walls of your business. Until then, I wish you and your family a very, very blessed Easter. We'll look forward to being with you live next Saturday morning at 11 here on The Gary Smith Show. In the meantime, please, questions, comments, observations, suggestions, please email me at questions at optex.com. I'll respond to you personally during the course of the week, and we'll read some of your questions and comments next Saturday on The Gary Smith Show. Until then, God bless you richly. Go live your life with passion.